if you go and you work in China, they're more than happy to commit all their resources to help you figure out all those parts of your supply chain that you aren't able to, to handle yourself. Whereas Mexico is much more DIY. You have to show up with a complete plan and they don't want to hold your hand through that production process or through that sourcing process. How does it work in India? The uh, India has passed uh, some new resolutions and some new laws and uh, aids from the government that will do all they can to help foreign companies establish it uh, better than Mexico, I think. I think the location uh, thing is a difference. Also in India, we have a high level of education from virtually all the way through the country. We have a lot of good mathematicians and physicists, just the type of guys we need for the assembly or design part. In fact, we've been using designers over there for the last two decades. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Altium On Track podcast. I'm your host, Zach Peterson. Today, we're talking again with Gene Weiner, president of Weiner International Associates. Last year, 2023, was a great year, and there was so much going on. And we're here to wrap it up with Gene and look forward to 2024. Gene, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's a pleasure to speak to you again, Zach. Yes, always a pleasure to, of course, see you in person at conferences and then have you on a podcast episode. No, no, it's always great to join you and discuss the events of the past year and try to second guess the next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always fun to uh, uh, predict what's going to happen. Um, there were some huge developments in, in 2023. Um, I think generally, if you look at the macro environment for business um, and manufacturing, but you know, also with uh, electronics manufacturing specifically, so I think we could just um, jump right in to some of these these uh, three biggest areas that I saw uh, in 2023. Um, one of these areas that we spoke about the last time you were on the podcast was trade with Mexico and the growth of manufacturing capacity with Mexico. And I think one of the biggest news stories of the last year was that trade with Mexico actually surpassed trade with China. What do you make of all this and, and how does this influence the business investment landscape, especially with respect to electronics manufacturing capacity uh, overseas or near short? Well, it, it's really very complicated. First of all, the China plus one thing it goes beyond just the making of print circuit board that talks about assembly, talks about packaging and what have you. And uh, in my personal experience, a company with which I've been associated with in uh, Quiritero is actually in the process of doubling its EMS factory because of the business there. And uh, Mexico is, is uh, under the new treaty that was uh, set up under the former president. It makes it very attractive. What's unattractive uh, is the lack of water for beer board manufacturing, but what is attractive are all the universities and trained people, proximity, and the treaty. But again, what's unattractive are the cartels and their behavior. But between Guadalajara and Querétaro, which is the uh, Mexican equivalent of uh, uh, an international manufacturing center for aerospace with museums and another five universities and two million people and an international airport, uh, it opens up another opportunity. But at the same time, India is, is rising again, which has failed because of lack of infrastructure and what have not. Uh, the IPC has been putting a lot of effort in there. There are a lot of uh, people from India and that part of the world that Protectronica, and uh, ju just uh, this past uh, 
couple of days. Uh, I think the EMS took a, a big rise getting over the hump when Lenovo decided to give a contract to uh, one of the subsidiaries of uh, Dixon uh, under a government-sponsored program to build a, uh, and assemble their notebook computers there. And this might just be the thing to push that one over the edge too. I look for continued increases uh, in Mexico and as well as India. Uh, I just got a report from friends that went to the HKPCA show from colleagues they held this past week. And they say the printed circuit fabrication part was had shrunk considerably. It was just one hole, much the same as they've done in the United States and as it had done in Protectronica. But at the same time, it said there was a lot of conversation that maybe it had gone uh, and take, been taken over by the CPCA show in Shanghai. Uh, further, there were virtually uh, no new Western countries exhibiting there. I've noticed that the halls were empty in the printed circuit part, and there are very few Wests that are seen throughout the show. So we, we see a continual shift in the China plus one uh, thing due to the geopolitical situation. Uh, so that's the political part and the business part, but there are also technical aspects to these discussions. Yeah, going back to, to India for just a moment, um, you know, I saw the same news story that you did about, about Dixon and notebook computer uh, manufacturing. Um, one thing that uh, to note about India is that they're not only doing things for Dixon, right? I mean, Apple has factories there. Um, I think Foxconn has moved into India. Um, so this is part of a broader trend that I think those of us in the US are not fully aware of because I think a lot of people are looking to Mexico because it is so close and because of some of the other um, advantages that you highlighted. Uh, that, that's very true, but uh, India had suffered from the past reputation going back decades ago to its prior form of its uh, economy. Then they shifted to a more capitalistic form. And uh, there's been a, much like China in the early days, there's been a lot of low level uh, graft situations that had to be overcome, which are just now being put to bed uh, with finality, I think. So India is becoming more attractive, especially uh, for the uh, Eurasian markets. We have to look at China plus one. Another thing about Mexico, which is um, something I just noticed today from one of our former podcast guests, Andrew Hubert, um, he provided a really interesting comparison between working in Mexico and working in China. If you go and you work in China, they're more than happy to commit all their resources to help you figure out all those parts of your supply chain that you aren't able to, to handle yourself, whereas Mexico is much more DIY. You have to show up with a complete plan, and they don't want to hold your hand through that production process or through that sourcing process. How does it work in India? The uh, India has passed uh, some new resolutions and some new laws and uh, aids from the government that will do all they can to help foreign companies establish it uh, better than Mexico, I think. I think the location uh, thing is a difference. Also in India, we have a high level of education from virtually all the way through the country. We have a lot of good mathematicians and physicists, just the type of guys we need for the assembly or design part. In fact, we've been using designers over there for the last two decades. So it's it's a ready-made situation once the infrastructure issues 
uh, get resolved, I think. And then there are still infrastructure issues, but there are new centers cropping up that are getting pretty good, and these are being better managed now. I think India has a, a good future, the role to play, and it's going to be a it's hard to say, you know, India, China, and the rest of the world, how it's going to work out. But we have to look at sustainability. What would we consider sustainable in the future? Sure, I think that makes sense. By the way, a lot of companies in China are suffering very much right now financially in our industry. Is that entirely due to China plus one? Is that kind of self-inflicted by the Chinese government? What, what's creating that issue? I think what's creating the issue has been the um, the Western world cutting um, China off on what they consider security matters, software issues, reverse engineering, and so forth. You know, I've always considered from the early days, I, I said the first time I went there right after the uh, Nixon Accords was uh, China's interesting. They're 50 years behind us. They're going to catch us in 20 or 30 uh, or so. And uh, they're a friend. They're not a friend. They're a competitor. They're a supplier. They're a customer. And they're a potential enemy. How do you balance it? And that's the situation today. Yeah, I think we're all seeing that play out on the news every night, for sure. One one other thing that's been uh, pretty prominent uh, over this past year, especially if you pay attention to some of the industry newsletters, is uh, the level of M&A activity. Um, M&A, I think, more broadly has kind of fallen off um, for several different reasons. Um, I think some of it happened in 2022, just kind of after the, the SPAC bubble basically burst. Um, but we've started to see some consolidation, at least in the EMS uh, arena, uh, as far as uh, companies buying each other or merging. Um, what have you been seeing as far as M&A activity? Oh, well, first of all, we're going to see more vertical integration. That's part of the uh, emerging part. The EMS consolidation reminded me of the situation with the automotive industry. Do you realize that at one time in the Western world and in the United States, there were nearly 2,000 automobile manufacturers? And how many were there? There were at one time approximately 2,000 printed circuit fabrication shops. Now it's fewer than probably around 150, give or take 10 in the US. Are we seeing the same thing in EMS? Possibly. The cost of setting up as we move to finer and finer things, to micro BGA assembly and so forth, are getting greater. We need faster machines. We need more precision. The greater cost of artificial intelligence is going to drive some of this, but we still have to build the large enough databases to make it fully effective. I think we're going to see a continued uh, M&A activity and continued consolidation for at least the next three or four years. Yeah, I've I've noticed that as we get closer and closer to just doing packaging outright, um, it makes sense that this would be happening because the level of capital input required is just much greater. And so it's harder and harder for a mom and pop shop to set up and just start manufacturing things, um, especially if they want to work in some of those more advanced, more high value areas, which frankly is where I think the American printed circuit board shop needs to operate if they're going to stay competitive on a global level. Well, we have a great example of that uh, with uh, TTM, with Calumet, with uh, American Standard Circuits, who are spending tens of millions of dollars to set up or expand facilities just for 
uh, ultra high density interconnects which are needed for uh, very fine line things for artificial intelligence boards for military and for medical yeah ttm is a very well-known name and um i i just wonder how many of the current you know, older guard of printed circuit board shops are, are going to consolidate to the level where they're really becoming a TTM status. You know, are we going to see more of those TTMs in the U.S. that are really heavily, you know, AI automation driven? There are only so many with the firepower or, or resources or financial support that will be able to afford to do this. So the answer is several more will be merged. They'll have greater capital capabilities and be able to invest in it. So they're won't be that many more. I, I don't. I don't see a thousand shops doing that of five hundred. I do see maybe a dozen or two more major ones as a result of partnering. We're going to have to see new, new partnering also. This is part of it. We're going to have to. This, the OEMs are going to have to step back up to the plate again because the in EMS companies don't have enough money to do research and development. Their margins aren't that great except for a few exceptions. So we're going to have to see more partnering. We're going to have to see more vertical integration. We're going to have to see the, a complete supply chain link from all the way down from materials and process all the way back up to the OEM and final test because testing these things is not easy either. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I mean, once you start getting into really high volume with high yield, you start to have this whole other quality control aspect that I don't want to say it's totally out the window with rapid prototyping, but it's certainly not priority number one. They care more about, you know, speed, on-time delivery. If you want it in 24 hours, you can get it. Whereas if you're TTM, you're focused on what, 99.99% of boards being right the first time, minimizing rework, those kinds of things. Well, we're not quite there with UHD or substrates yet, but as a designer, you know that if a designer doesn't know what's capable in the shop, if he doesn't talk to the guy that's going to manufacture it in volume, but just to the prototype shop, by the time the, it, the hammer hits the anvil, uh, it's too late. you got to get everybody involved very early from designer all the way up to final production materials, process chemicals, and uh, test. Yeah, I agree. The, the DFM for volume production is it's this whole other world from a lot of the ways that we talk about DFM, especially when we you know look at what the prototyping shop can do versus what you're trying to do when you're trying to manufacture a million units a year. It's a, it's a great, interesting world. I guess I, I wish I was 30 years old again with the, with the challenges that, that are being faced by the, the young engineers today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, speaking of some of the challenges I think younger engineers are facing today and probably going to be facing uh, in the near future um, is UHDI and substrates. Um, we This has come back uh, to to be a really prominent part of discussion for what we do with PCBs, especially after the passage of the CHIPS Act. I think after the CHIPS Act passed, you know, folks in Washington probably said, hey, you know, job done. Whereas the rest of us who actually designed this stuff realized, well, you haven't really solved any problems if you aren't also creating uh, substrates and packaging uh, locally. Uh, so that then led to the discussion of UHDI and substrate design and things like this. That can be a discussion that can last a few weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
there's a lot going on in that. Um, the USPA awarded some uh, money, as you know, about $10 million to a number of companies, none of whom are in, uh, recognized as in the Pritisipit side of the industry. They're all in the microelectronics side. So I decided to take a poll last week with uh, people there from the semiconductor side, from the packaging side, from the material side, from the process side, from the joining side, from the solder side, everything you can think of, including the design and standards, at least one from Asia through the U.S. to Europe. And I'm just getting the results in. Okay. One of them, one of the, but it's interesting, no two were the same. I asked to define the challenges and differences between UHDI and an organic substrate for semiconductor packaging. No two are the same. And so we're getting more involved with that. So there, uh, it's still evolving. Um, the primary difference I see, uh, other than resolution and uh, registration and resolution, uh, UHDI will say is down to 15 micron or six tenths of a mil line and with a slightly larger space. And semiconductor uh, packaging, uh, the organic substrates will go finer, maybe even down to six micron line in space with dry film resist exposure with a direct imaging. And below that, they'll probably have to use a liquid photoresist, a positive working, because you can't use a negative working because it, uh, it's uh, oxidized, it's an oxidizable film and it won't be steady. Uh, and work is being done uh, on that by Fraunhof and some other companies. Uh, but the money, the, it, we already have a couple of large shops invested in, in doing this. We have others preparing to do this. There are now seminars and workshops and programs being set up by everybody that has uh, their toe in the water. From the SMTA, um, uh, seminar that's coming up in February, conference in February at high uh, in the San Jose area, I believe, on uh, ultra high density interconnect to a panel I'm going to appear on with the more of the printed circuit guy side. By the way, the, the first one is going to have KLA and semiconductor people and so forth. But what I'm going to do is more from the printed circuit side, except for KLA and someone from defense. Uh, there'll be Mike Vinton, whom everyone knows that's one of the uh, originators of one of the semi-additive uh, processes. Uh, there'll be someone there from KLA. So these are revolving, and it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But there's interest everywhere. Uh, by the way, uh, ATNS has just committed a large amount of money to set up a, a high-density facility in Austria. Tens of millions of dollars going there, too. So it's not just the U.S., yeah, and all of this is really being driven by just the need to onshore really the most critical parts, highest value parts, let's say, of the supply chain and really some, create something more of a local ecosystem where people can source the board, the substrates, everything they need to build an entire system from scratch. Well, let, let's set aside um, the, the military, the defense, let's set aside the medical one of the biggest drivers that everybody is trying to get into the market early on is AI and the boards required for AI. Uh, ultra high density uh, materials and circuits are usually more reliable, they're faster, they have a greater challenge with heat dissipation, uh, component size and placement, but it's a better product. And in many cases, uh, it's uh, 
not more expensive, it effectively could be less expensive. But then we get into how is the thing going to be built? Is it good? What is the registration issue going to be for these uh, super fine line things and so forth? Does it have to be semi-additive or additive to hold the registration? Because once you go to lamination and subtractive or uh, processes, you get too much material movement. There's also a need for newer materials that are more stable for high frequency, lower loss, uh, as well as the surface condition of the metal for high frequency. There's all types of new challenges for designers, which will drive AI, which will drive the need for more of these boards, <laughs> unless unless you think otherwise as a designer. I no, I, I would agree. I mean, you know, data center infrastructure is always, you know, it's an evergreen thing, right? I mean, everything we do is digitally mediated. So, of course, there's going to be demand for those types of boards. But I think AI has kicked everything into overdrive. And this is like one of the one areas that everybody forgets about. Everybody's focused on the semiconductors, naturally. Um, but as we all know, without a board that is precisely engineered to accommodate that chip, the chip is kind of meaningless. And so everybody totally forgets about the packaging and, and the circuit board that it's going to live on. Well, there's, well the, the challenges for AI and the, and the designs are there are really enormous because it's going to require processes that most printed circuit shops in the U.S. are unfamiliar with. And also it's going to bring up it, the digital twin is a necessity in my mind for that. You're just not going to design these circuits without that and using your AI there. You're going to use AI to create boards for AI, so to speak. You know, given that that is the, the case, and I think there are enough people around who realize that is the case and they understand the supply chain challenges, will we ever get back to an era where the companies building these very advanced semiconductors are ever going to take the approach of having a captive operation for fully packaging the chips, building the boards, or is this going to just continue to be outsourced and, you know, we really haven't overturned the status quo of the last, you know, 20 to 30 years? Intel is putting a lot of bucks into making the full package, not the board, for the boards, with a glass substrate. They've committed to it. They've got a lot of uh, packages there. Uh, a friend of mine from Taiwan that's an independent consultant has also designed a new type of uh, interposer or carrier uh, other than silicon carbide uh, that will help the, the heat dissipation that's required for putting chip widths down in high density. Um, it's The board part is always going to be the board part. I don't think that many people are going to get into that, except for Intel and Glass, and their TSMC is doing some work on going through the packaging itself, uh, using both organic as well as inorganic substrates. But the vast majority of companies uh, will be buying the chips from TSMC, Samsung, or Intel, or Qualcomm, all the packages, and... They're going to have to get the board somewhere, and, they, and for sustainability, they want the boards built in a safe area that's close by, which might be Mexico, the United States, Canada, or Europe. And by the way, one of the things I learned in my trip to Productronica, that was an interesting trip, was that Europe is down to 2% of the world's production, where once it had 20% for Europe of the world's beer board production and assembly. That's even worse than that's the decline in the U.S., well, U.S. is at about 4%. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Currently. Well, these are astounding numbers. And so recovery is great, but it also shows a great opportunity to go from 2 or 4% back to 10 or 
So, uh, you know, when, when these numbers start getting thrown around, I always like to ask the person who is quoting the numbers, what is objectively the right market share for the US or for Europe in terms of printed circuit board manufacturing, right? And the, the comment I always bring up is that, you know, the market decided that 50% US market share was too much, but now we've clearly all agreed that 4% is too little. So where do we meet in the middle? Well, there there are two things at play there. One is necessity for defense and medical, and the other is incentive for a businessman to invest money to build it in a location. To properly, in the U.S., from what I have been able to find out or discover or agree with, you would require roughly enough incentive to bring it up to 20% to be profitable for those guys that are going to be long-term players. Uh, defense and medical probably could get it up to 10 or 12%, but then we have uh, high uh, communication, 6G coming up, which are going to require things, AI and so forth. So the target would probably be around 20%, although I'm not an economist. Uh, I, I do follow other people's numbers. In Europe, the number would probably be closer to 10 or 12%. Less, less than that, who's going to pay for it? You don't go into business to lose money. I don't know. Business is not supposed to be a charity. In a socialist company, it's a country. It's a government business. But we see what happens when the government runs everything in countries such as China or so forth, which brings up another thing. Vietnam is a socialist communist country. They're doing great, largely because of the business they're getting from the Western world, including the United States. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's not the case that, you know, just one form of government is going to dictate the outcome. But um, but yeah, I, I think that's part of that's one company or sorry, that's one country that we kind of gloss over sometimes, but they really have been beneficiaries of kind of this China plus one supply chain strategy that a lot of company uh, companies are implementing. But what does Vietnam have? They have desire, they have education, they have a strong work ethic and a strong workforce, but there are only so many of them. It's a small country that can only handle so much. So then we see a new, a new joint uh, venture between a major Chinese company and a major Thai company from Thailand to try to bring advanced manufacturing technology of printed circuit boards to Thailand, which is a major growing printed circuit fabrication area, but not high tech. So companies really have much more options. They can go and get their lower tech, simpler boards from, let's say, Thailand, Vietnam, they can do maybe their more advanced or more IP sensitive boards in, let's say, Mexico. And for anything where they're still in development, they can get plenty of rapid prototyping capacity here in the U.S. Or maybe if they're in Europe, they can do it in Europe. And don't leave don't leave Taiwan out. They're, they're a leader in technology and everything, and they have a lot of capacity. That's fair. I, I do and I do tend trying, to leave Taiwan out, yeah. and I don't mean to. Especially with chips and packaging. That's true. That's true. And you know, one one thing regarding chips and packaging that I thought might become a bit of a, a driver, at least in the near term was um, the growth in, in chiplets and possibly even the creation of like a chiplet marketplace. And we just really have not seen that kind of thing at all. I mean, there's foundry capacity, but you don't have like a digi-key for chiplets or anything like that. You know, that's going to then encourage more I believe, UHDI. I, I believe it's coming. We just need the ability to build the substrates for mounting them. 
and packaging them. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that, that gets back to needing more UHDI capacity and not just capacity, but capacity at scale. Well, that, that talks about gaining traction in the market ramp up. One of the things I noticed at Productronica was that after a mere 15 years or so of trying to get Sodomask accepted as a viable process for inkjet application via inkjet application, Suddenly, it's accepted everywhere, and everybody had a system or a solder mask, and they're all now trying to show the advantages of their system over the other, as opposed to whether or not it's a viable process. It was that was the longest ramp up I've seen in our industry that succeeded. Yeah, it seems like once the the ball starts rolling downhill, everybody jumps on board, and they feel they have to do it. It was, but it was a very gentle slope on this one, <laughs> and a long hill. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like with the shift to lead, lead free, um, you know, I think that was one of the the recent, uh, you know, big shifts in the industry. Um, you know, Joseph Feldstad kind of made that same comment. He had said, you know, once the ball starts rolling downhill, um, everybody just jumps on because I, I think there's an element of you know FOMO, as they say in financial circles, or fear of missing out. Yeah, Joseph thinks he may have finally found a key to get more people interested in the OKM or modification of that process, the OCCAM process of his for solderless uh, packaging, where it applies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, we need to have him back on here to discuss some of that because I was so interested in that in that process. Well, he's a fascinating, creative guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. I, I always like talking to him. Um, so shifting back to UHDI for just a moment, um, one area of UHDI, and I think uh, goes back to volume manufacturing that a lot of designers don't think about, is quality control and cleanliness. Um, what are some of the cleanliness needs in UHDI, and how does that affect the quality control process that companies have to implement if they want to start ordering and manufacturing this stuff? If you have a hair or dust or anything like that in the shop, your yield is going to be atrocious. Uh, the cleanliness uh, issue is is great. There are a number of people that have solved it or are working on it. Uh, American Standard Circuits has apparently found a way to, to get it out in, uh, with reasonable yields, whatever they are. Uh, and uh, Anaya Varger is going to be on that panel with me uh, in March. It'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Um, we know that uh, TTM in Syracuse, New York, is going to put $40, $50 million in for a super clean system. Uh, AT Odessa's system is super clean bit for yields to get 15 micron uh, lines and 20 micron spaces or so uh, in uh, Austria. So the needs are different. Uh, the requirements are different. You really need a, a class 100 and class 1000 operating area for both machinery and the rooms for where the processing is done. Uh, otherwise, you're just not going to pick this up. You, if you go into a, a printed circuit shop that does two, four double double-sided stuff, a four, six, eight, ten layer with a uh, a large landed space of ten mils, which used to be the goal in the olden days, and the old 4400 computer board was thought to be difficult with that type of resolution. Uh, you cannot do it in that kind of shop anymore. You you have to have it clean. You have to have a clean exposure system. You have to go to direct imaging, which is more expensive. You're going to need laser drills, which are more expensive. You can't go mechanical at below six mil holes, say, for example, uh, maybe a little better. But uh, it's got to be super clean. 
And I, I would think that there are probably areas where machines may be encapsulated in class 100 systems, tunnels, and where the rooms may be class 1000 for processing and handling in some cases. That's just my opinion. I'm not an expert. That's only what I've been through. Well, this is interesting because, you know, it, it seems like we're just in this constant lag with what they do in semiconductors, right? The, the cleanliness issues with semiconductors were figured out so long ago. And it always seems like whenever the printed circuit board world shifts to a new paradigm or a more advanced type of system, um, we have to catch up to them or even reinvent the wheel. You know, um, if you think about recently in 2019 with the microvia re reliability issues, um, and the microvia, uh, the microvia reliability warning, um, the packaging guys figured all that stuff out way before any of us in PCB world figured it out. And now we're having to deal with cleanliness issues. But well, we haven't had to do that. Here's a printed circuit board, mm -hmm. eight and a half by 11. <laughs> I maybe have six up on here or eight up on there. I have a hair across here. You have one X up, the rest is still good. This is a UHDI board. A hair across here may knock out eight or 10 circuits, not one. It's different. A particle in a four mil hole or a three mil hole could prevent it from being filled or carrying a conductor or blocked. A particle in a 32 mil hole or an eight to 15 mil hole, which is typical, played it to maybe 13 or 14 mils. Doesn't matter. You bridge it, you play right over it. It's it's a different world. Yeah, these are all good points. I mean, I I guess uh, maybe we had the same cleanliness issues earlier. We just didn't notice it. That's what I'm hearing from you right now. Well, if you look at a copper plating tank, look at the systems used for copper plating in the semiconductor world, how clean and pure they are, and go into any printed circuit shop and look around the copper plating system, the copper sulfate plating system. They're just the stuff in the year around those tanks would be enough to wipe out a UHDI board. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, this uh, then uh, requires some new level of investment, I guess, in order to really get these shops to the level where they can, you know, fabricate UHDI and substrates and do it in a way where they have yield that is attractive to any customer. Yeah, and uh, I'm, that's part of the cost of the newer systems is the cleanliness, the waste treatment, the filtration, the controls, the printing, the whole formation, the additive systems. It's got to be clean. You can't, you, you know, if you, all right, say you get a, a $2,000 board here with a couple of thousand dollars in components on it, and it gets wiped out because you got somebody's hair in there. Please, can't do it. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Um, so are, are there any advancements going on in cleaning aside from just, you know, bigger and better clean rooms in some of these facilities? Uh, there are advances being go going on. Everybody's working on improvement. There are already proven systems in the, some facilities such as uh, Chippewa Falls of TTM, uh, American Standard Circuits, and others. And of course, all the guys in Taiwan and Japan. The Chua Meiban in Japan, for example, they do, they've automated a total uh, uh, high density line uh, with liquid photoresist, recently reported by one of our friends. When you say automated the line, 
it sounds like when you say that, it sounds like they've automated everything, not just cleanliness and inspection. Uh, automated the handling of the board all the way through photoresist, coating, cleaning, coating, exposure, develop, all the way out to no one touches it. That's incredible because for example, the, the last time I was in a, a PCB shop uh, taking a tour, um, and it wasn't that long ago, um, there were a lot of people handling stuff. I mean, you got the machines, and you know, there a lot of a lot of those processing steps are automated, but still, from from point to point along the process, you have people picking stuff up and handling it, and moving it, doing whatever they have to do to to move things along through the process. And and this is a, a shop. Now, this is a shop that's that's a you could consider to be a bit at the more advanced edge of what we have here in the U.S. I, I think the change started with, with some of the, the newer shops going in into Andover, Massachusetts, up New Hampshire, Moscow, Idaho, with greater degrees of automation. Uh, if you look what Alex Stepinski did with his first two shops up in Charleston, uh, New Hampshire, before he left, that whole shop, the first one, ran on 17 people, the whole facility. How much volume were and they And most doing? of them were controlled. And use of robotics and smart handling of materials. Uh, we see a continuation of this. We see great advances of this, uh, not only in Japan, but in Taiwan and in the people that have copied them and reverse engineered them across the Formosa Straits uh, and elsewhere. Uh, and we saw a lot of robotics uh, over uh, improvements in robotics, I should say, at Productronica and the ways it handled materials without... Uh, damaging them from the edge or in air carriers or positioning and so forth. There was a one system uh, by Pluritech Italia, for example, that took a, lamin a multi-layer laminated, uh, indexed it, removed the flash, x-rayed it, drilled it, trimmed it again, beveled the edges and took it out the end. Nobody touched it. it. Just The panels were just loaded and went right all the way through. Uh, this was running in their booth demonstrating it. That's always so cool to see that stuff live. I'm I'm kind of a gearhead at, at heart and have always been, I mean, obviously I work in the hardware world, so I love seeing that kind of stuff. Well, th this was advances in consolidation, not new technology. These were, th this company took known processes and equipment and procedures and was able to lace it together. Then, of course, you know, you're using the, the new software that's available that allows all the machines to talk to each other. They learn from each other. They're self-learning with the AI. They improve and they get better and better. And it allows this type of advance. Which brings up another thing. We get it. I don't see how we're going to um, get into UHDI business using Gerber's. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. It's still 80 and 90% of people still use it. Good Lord. I know, I know. In fact, uh, since we you mentioned a poll earlier, I should probably do a poll myself and just see what people prefer to use. Yeah, you're going to use either the IPC, you know, uh, 2581, or you're going to use, uh, you know, the, the other one from Germany. You know, I'm at the point where I just export all three of them and just say, here's, here you go. Pick what you want to use. Well, if you say, let's go. And recently on LinkedIn, they showed a board put together uh, using AI and uh, ODB Double Plus and digital twins and everything. And it took a long time. I said, you think it took a long time because it took a month. If you're using Gerber, you'd be there for three <laughs> years and still not have it. Yeah, I know because all everything is separate and all these different files and different formats. And it, it's almost like you have to do a bunch of machine learning just to infer even what the files are trying to tell the machine. 
ODB++ and then IPC 2581 probably speeds all that up significantly. It's it's because people don't like change and they're comfortable doing what they're doing. That's like you went into these printed circuit shops, which even with the modern UCE equipment built in China for enclosed plating systems are not are not enough for for uh, ultra high density. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, Gene, we're getting to the end of our session here, um, but I think we should wrap it up by uh, just asking you, what are some of the biggest developments you expect this year in 2024? Put on your put on your uh, magic predictor hat here and tell us what you expect to see. Uh, the biggest developments I expect would be the establishment in the Western world, in uh, Western Europe, and in, in the United States, several organic substrate and inorganic substrate and interposer operations over the next two years in uh, with American companies or Taiwan companies based off European companies. Second, I expect to see an increased use of European equipment uh, in the United States as opposed to uh, Chinese equipment and also American equipment for fabrication and assembly development. And the third, I expect to see Japanese companies, which never wanted to sell to the Western world, which have very advanced machines for assembly, for speed, for registration, for pick and place, for laying down solder paste and inspection AOI, continue to improve in their systems and really go after the Western world market and put um, perhaps even going more direct in the US. I expect to see a lot more from Japan. We, we always see Japanese stuff here. We see Fuji, you know, we see uh, Yamaha motor and so forth, but we're gonna see more of that. We're gonna see more advanced stuff. And uh, I, I also expect uh, to see, believe it or not, Ko Young continue to bring up developments that will help in the ultra high density thing at South Korea. And so we're gonna see some uh, better instances of being able to properly identify, uh, measure, and locate and place uh, solder paste and solder droplets on micro devices. This is a, still a challenge right now. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Well, as all of this stuff happens, of course, we would love to have you back to discuss some of these developments and let's see if they've come true by the time we hit 2025. Same time next year. It right. <laughs> sounds great. Gene, thank you so much for being with us today. You know, you always wonder how many of these things will really come about. And actually, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, most of them that I've predicted have come about. Some have just taken a few decades longer than I thought. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and but. Before we sign off, um, just really quickly, tell us uh, when that SMTA panel is happening and where, where it's going to be. The, there were two. I, I just put them down here. There is a UHDI conference, March 26, uh, at the uh, Rio Vista Recreation Center, put on by the SMTA in Peoria, Arizona, which is noted because that's where Amcor is putting the property, and there's another... Uh, packaging company just bought 25 acres there next to the 50 acres of Amcor. So that would be there. There was an announcement if you go to the SMTA site of the January or February conference in San Jose. Um, let me just see if I have a note on that. I may or may not. I do not. 
but they're, they're, that's a major one. Look at the SMTA and anyone that's interested can find it. That's a very high tech thing. That's more from the semiconductor side down where the SMTA is the bottom side up, which is where I'm coming from. Okay. Well, anyone that's interested in that, we will uh, have all that information in the show notes and you can go and learn more. Uh, Gene, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always fun. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank Jack. you so much. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Absolutely, Year. Absolutely. You too. To everyone that's out there listening, we've been talking with Gene Weiner, president of Weiner International Associates. Make sure to hit the like button and subscribe button on YouTube. You'll be able to keep up with all of our podcast episodes and tutorials as they come out. Make sure to check out the show notes. You'll find some information on the SMTA panels. And last but not least, don't stop learning, stay on track, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.